Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. Today I've got a very experienced and accomplished player in the in the Queensland State League and also getting out and doing his thing as a coach. Uh, Clarence Pop Dickerson with me. G'day, Pop. Good morning. How you doing, big fella? Hey, not too bad, mate. Hanging in there. <laughs> nice. Uh, great yeah. to catch up with you on the podcast today. Like, no Pop for quite a few years now having lived in Toowoomba and, and coached all of his kids up there like at the yeah. state league level so uh, that was a great experience for me with Pop today too like I just wanted to talk a little bit about his his basketball playing career being one of the top scorers in the in the QBL in the 90s and living through that heyday of when the Mountaineers were really dominant in the state league and then yeah. uh, now the stuff he's doing with his uh, super camp which is uh, you know one of the well, probably the longest-running basketball camp in Australia. I would say so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, so Pop, um, growing up in Danville, Virginia, checked you out online. Uh, what, what was it like? <laughs> and, Danville, uh, Virginia? Yeah. Oh, mate. Well, um, you know, I recently uh, went back to Danville, Virginia. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that was a – we had a, uh, a little – anniversary or whatever you want to call it to go to and I went back there and uh, nothing has really changed uh, there's a it's a population of about mm, let's say about maybe a hundred eighty to a hundred thousand people oh yeah it's about the size of Toowoomba you know yeah. I think that's why it was easy for me to make the transition from uh, you know from the state's to Toowoomba, because a lot of guys say, man, how could you go to Toowoomba and live? But shoot, you know, I've lived in a town that size all my life. Yeah. So the, the thing about, you know, moving to a town like this is uh, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Danville, uh, you know, a lot of the manufacturing's gone out of it. Uh, yeah. It used to be, uh, at one point it had the largest privately owned cotton mill in America. Oh, really? called Dan, Dan River Mills. Yeah, Dan River Mills. And, uh, mate, it was a bustling town. But, you know, uh, I guess the American prices uh, to produce anything kept going up. And the Chinese, uh, their prices of production kept going the other way. So, yeah. uh so the industry's basically gone from the town. All right. So now the, I think there's just a bunch of uh, pencil pushers around the place because yep. there's not much industry. But, uh, you know, that, that has happened all over America and pretty much all over the world, really. I mean, look at us here. You know, we don't really, in Australia, we're not really manufacturing anything, are we? We're just uh, getting everything from China, India. Yeah. You know, these developing countries, but it's hard to compete against them. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, it. Because they're made it hard when, when they're producing things so cheaply. Yeah, you know? exactly. But, um, so because of that, Danville, my son Charles and I, uh, we went to this, um, this uh, uh, 
reunion. And afterwards, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and we figured, oh, well, we're not really sleeping. We'll go out and, and maybe paint the town. <laughs> Man, we, we drove around and drove around, and there was nothing to be painted. <laughs> it, was, it was all covered up. Um, uh, I don't know why, because when I was growing up, it was a little, little, little hot spot. You yep. know, things were happening. But today, it's like there was nobody on the streets, man. At ten o'clock, there were no cars. It was just like a lockdown. A little bit quiet. You know? Yeah, man. I think I think the conservatives are taking things over. Uh, okay. You know, everybody's got to be in bed by a certain time, and <laughs> all of this stuff, man. That's you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the. The, you know, it's in the Bible Belt, and I think the Bible Belt's winning. <laughs> everybody's everybody's tucked in bed, man, by ten o'clock. So, anyway, was, so that's a little bit about Danville. A lot of tobacco, yeah. a lot of tobacco around the place. Oh yeah, you know, it's in the south. It's on the um, North Carolina Virginia border. All right, uh, a very very hotbed for basketball. Really, you know, it's like where Michael Jordan's from. Yeah, James Worthy. Oh, mate, a uh, lot of good basketball players. Yeah. So, um, like, what was the uh, environment like playing basketball around there at the time? And and I suppose you would have played at high school a fair bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had some boys over over at my house uh, a couple of days ago. And, you know, we were talking about my my old days, and and I've got this um, my my cousin. His name's Johnny Newman, and he played in the NBA for about well, maybe I think he played seventeen seasons in the NBA. And um, he rang me up. This is back in two thousand and four. Yeah, he rang me up, and he says, uh, and they call me Clarence Junior. <laughs> Back in Virginia, they uh, Clarence Jr. I mean, they called me Pop too. They were calling me Pop back then too. But my immediate family, they all called me Clarence Jr. Right. So uh, he rings me up and he says, um, "He says Clarence Jr. They are inducting me into the Virginia State High School Hall of Fame." And he says, uh, "I'm going through this yearbook, through the awards book, and your record is still here." All right. I said, I said, what record is that? He said, in the state finals of the Virginia high school uh, competition, when we made it to the state uh, semifinals, um, my cousin, he rang me up. He says, uh, Clarence Jr., I'm, I'm just thumbing through this um, magazine here, and you've still got the record for most field goals scored in a, in a Virginia state basketball game in the state championship games. All right. So that was pretty impressive, I thought. <laughs> and I, yeah. I sat the thing. This was 2004. Yeah. And I sat the thing in 1977. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's when I sat it. What was the record? It was, I made, I made 18 field goals and I shot the ball. 35 times. Nice. But that's that's a lot of shots. <laughs> eight, eight minute quarters. Oh, yeah. 35 shots. That's a lot of shots, man. 
Did they I made the, 18 of them. Did they have the three-point line back then? No, no, uh, they didn't have the three-point line. They didn't have right. the three-point line. But, yeah, man, that was uh, – and and what I did, I said to uh, I said to one of the boys, I said, look, um, go back and uh, see if you can find – see if it's still there today. But they couldn't – we weren't able to – we weren't able to, to – uh, to access uh, all the current uh, records to see if it's still there. Uh, so, okay. I mean, but that alone should give you an idea that, you know, that, that's not too bad when you yeah. look at that, you know, uh, for a record to be 18 field goals in a high school game, that's pretty good, man. <laughs> so, and you forget, you know, yeah, yeah. time goes by, you know, you forget a lot of things, man. Yeah. And everything, and uh, that, was a, that was a pretty pleasant basketball memory there. Yeah. So yeah. how did how did the name Pop come up? Come around? Oh, that came up when I was in grade three. Uh, my grandfather used to pick me up from school. Yeah. And uh, I used to get really excited, mate, because he'd pick me up and take me for ice cream and stuff like that. I'd be in the window looking at <laughs> his car. Yeah. And and the teacher said, "Oh, Pop's coming to get you, huh?" And and she started calling me Pop, and then all the kids started calling me Pop, and then I started popping them in the basket, and then it just kind of stuck with me. Oh, nice. Right. You, know, you know, I mean, sometimes I like it, man. Most times I don't. It stuck with me, and it's who I am, so I'll just go with it. You just run with it. <laughs> I just go. It's too late now, man. I think I've run my race. <laughs> I've run my race now. I'm coming to the end of the race now. <laughs> Big six zero, mate. You know. Yeah. Is that next year or this year? No, this year, man. Ah. I was 60 in March. I'll be 61 coming up. Wow. So yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm uh, I think I'm halfway in my race and <laughs> heading down the hill, bro. <laughs> In a hurry. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm from high school. You went over to uh, college in Hawaii. Um, no, 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 no. No, you it didn't. Happen. It didn't happen that way. Oh, okay. My life Tell isn't that simple. <laughs> My life is nooks and crannies, man, and, <laughs> and meanderings all over the place. No, I went um, when I when I um, was in high school, mate. I didn't have the best grades in the world, as you can probably tell by speaking to me <laughs> I didn't have the best grades in the world okay and uh, so I ended up going to a small college all right right I went to Elon College E-L-O-N yep. in North Carolina now Elon College though it's a very prestigious small uh, institution and uh, they played uh, small college basketball uh, some of the teams in that conference was uh you may have heard of Gartner Webb, yep. High Point College, Pfeiffer College, um, where did uh, Davidson, you know, some great small college teams in that North Carolina region there. Yeah. Right? Because like I said, it's a hotbed. Yeah. Anyway, in that in that competition, there was about ten schools in there. Um as a freshman, I made all District 26, which meant as a freshman, I was one of the five top players in that league as a freshman. Nice. So, that, I mean, that, that's pretty impressive again. Yeah. You know, I forget these things, man. But I was a freshman and I actually made first team. Unbelievable, you know. <laughs> uh, but I did. 
but I did. And like I said, Winston-Salem State University, you know, where Earl the Pearl Monroe went to? Yeah. And uh, what, um, I think Gardner Webb is where uh, World Be Free. Remember World Be Free? Yeah, yeah. Remember him? Yep. Went to, this is when those small colleges were like, were they were like just, you know, loaded with talented players mm. and stuff. So, so yeah, so... I went to Elon College, but I knew that that I was a little bit better than Elon College. You know, I wanted to play Division One. Yep. But in order to do that, I had to get my grades up. Yeah. See, a lot of people think that these colleges just take you because you're talented and and that's it. But no, you do have to qualify to get in. Yep. So, I went to Elon, and my kind of like my sole purpose, but not really my sole purpose, but yeah, was to um, to make sure I get my grades up, which would allow me to then transfer to a major Division One university. Yeah. So I attended Elon, got my grades up, and eventually I ended up transferring to uh, the University of Hawaii. All right. Which was, which was, mind you, there was a few stops along that way too, but I won't get into that. <laughs> I won't get into that, uh, but I eventually ended up at the University of Hawaii, which was a great move. It was a, a, a really good experience. Yeah. So, what were the best uh, memories or of playing at, at Hawaii that you remember? Hawaii. Well, I remember <clears throat> one thing is when I went out there, uh, uh, my I had to investigate it because I didn't tell mate. I didn't know much about Hawaii, being a country boy from Danville, Virginia. I didn't know much about the doggone the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so as uh, soon as I uh, boarded the plane and I landed, and then uh, the, the university had some hula girls waiting for me with some, <laughs> in the hula hoops and put the lay on me and all that. And nice. I was like, oh, this might not be too bad, you know? <laughs> And uh, and then we uh, hopped in his in his car and we drove down um, Waikiki and we drove over to the North Shore and he showed me all the all the all the sights and 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 all of that you know but I mean you go to university to get a degree don't you so yeah. um, uh, they also you know helped me with the degree stuff too and and all that but. Um, Hawaii was fan was just a, a a great experience. I mean, being that far from home can be kind of rough, yeah. but um, but uh, Hawaii was a great university. I um, my uh, I guess my biggest achievement uh, when I was at Hawaii was I made first team All Western Athletic Conference. Oh, nice! And uh, yeah, uh, that was who. Let me think who. If I can remember who was on that team with me, on that team with me was um, Tom Chambers. You remember him? Yeah. Tom Chambers played for Utah. He was on that team. Remember Michael Cage? He led the NBA in rebounding. Right. Michael Cage played at San Diego State University. Uh, there was a uh, Steve. Uh, who else was on that team? Big Greg Kite. Oh, yeah. You remember Greg Kite? Yeah, I do actually. Played for BYU. Yep. He was on that. He was on that. On that All Star Five. 
So, um, yeah. And I remember playing against Danny Ainge. All right. Oh, I had a good battle against him, man. Me and Danny, we were going at it, man. I was with him. I remember I was on him toe-to-toe, 94 feet, man. I was cutting him off. He'd go one way, I'd cut him off. He'd, he'd change hands and try to dribble up with his left. I'd cut him off that way. He'd go back to his <laughs> right, I'd cut him off. I was playing some great defense for a change. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? But um, it was it was fun. It was fun. We... um. We our team, we had we were always kind of mediocre in the WAC. That's yeah. called the Western Athletic Conference, oh, yeah. and and the teams in the WAC were that was uh, San Diego State, University of Hawaii, Brigham Young University, University of Utah, Texas El Paso, San Diego State, uh, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, and it was the. It was, I think, back in those days uh, that I didn't say New Mexico. New Mexico was in it. Back in those days, the WAC was the most, um, uh, I'm going to use the word spectated, as yeah. in, in that uh, most pe- more people attended WAC basketball games than any other conference in the country. Right. Like it was. We used to go to the pit. There'd be sixteen thousand in the pit. There'd be sixteen thousand at El Paso. It was just great. It was. It was a really. It was a great experience. Nice. You know? And were there any coaches? You know, like who was your coach at Hawaii? And my um, co- my coach at Hawaii was Larry Little. Oh yeah. And he coached at Centenary before he moved to Hawaii. Right. He coached. He had Robert Parrish. All right. His. Uh, uh, was his claim to fame because yeah, he coached yeah. at Centenary University. You ever you've heard of Centenary? Yeah, yeah, in, in, Cal- well, in San Francisco. Yeah, well, he coached there, and yeah. he had Robert Parrish. I think that's the only reason why he got that Hawaii job because God rest his his soul. I don't think he was the greatest coach in the world. <laughs> right. Or oh, I'd be in the NBA right now. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that because uh, you. Um, June 82, the, the Washington Bullets selected yeah. Clarence Dickerson in round five with pick 12. Uh, yeah. So 104th pick out of 225. How was that experience? Uh, I should have been higher, mate. <laughs> way, way, way higher. Well, I was going to say, the um, I had a look through that the draft class of that year, 1982. Yeah. So uh, James Worthy, number one to the LA Lakers. Uh, yeah. Dominic Wilkins, number three, to the Utah Jazz, and uh, Eric Sleepy Floyd, number 13, to the New Jersey Nets. So, you're in good company uh, that year. Oh, uh, man, I'm better than all of them, bro. <laughs> you know, hey, I played, against, I played against James Worthy. Yeah. Yeah, in North Carolina in high school. Yep. Yeah, so I know I'm better than James. I'm better than all them cats, man. You know, it, it just, it's the luck of the draw. It is, yeah. You got to be at the right place at the right time. You got to have the right people pushing you and stuff like that. But all due respect to those, to that class of players. They were fan, fantastic players, you know? Yeah. And and to be honest, because I thought I was going to go a lot higher than that. And because I wasn't, it kind of put a lot of pressure on me. Yeah. And when you, you know, when you're a really good shooter, like I was, and I'm, I mean, I can just be honest. I was a pretty good shooter. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I would say probably for my whole career, I shot better than 50% from the floor. 
Nice. And these were not layups. These were absolute jump shots, mate. And I would say through my whole career, um, I never shot under 50%, you know, mm. everything. But um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a really good uh, draft class that I came out with. And um, it was just a good, you know, it was a good experience to, um, uh, you know, to, I, I, I mean, I played in the Aloha Classic against those guys too. All right. You know, and the Aloha Classic out there was, um, they, I think they picked the top, the top um, 40 or 50 seniors in the country to play in the Aloha Classic. And I was picked to play in that as well. So that was cool. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I remember, uh, you know, you at the time, like you're six, four, you're a shooting guard, uh, you yeah. could get on, get on the rim. And also, like you say, you, you know, quite, quite efficient from the outside as well. What drove you, you know, at that time to work on your game like you did? And did you have anyone who was like a mentor as a player? Well, I'll tell you what happened when I, when I came out of high school, right. I was a forward. Yeah. So if you're forward, you know, because I was one of the bigger kids, right? So they put me at the forward spot. Okay, you're not doing much dribbling at the forward spot, are you? No. So when you get when I got to college, I had to adapt and play the guard spot. Yeah. So I had to move up into the backcourt. I couldn't dribble the ball, right? But I could shoot the lights out, right? So I had to learn how to dribble. Yeah. And then when I when I transferred from Elon College to the University of Hawaii. Uh, my dribbling skills were still not the best in the world. Now, this is what did it for me. We were playing some team. Uh, the university was playing some team. And um, uh, it was a pretty tight game. And I was dribbling the ball late in the game. Well, after that game, the coach's wife came up to me. And she said, you know, Clarence, every time you dribble the ball, it makes me nervous. <laughs> and I looked at her, you know. I mean, I didn't say anything. And I looked at her, and I, and I, I took it, you know, I took it to heart. And I, I took it to say, you know, I need to improve my ball handling skills is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting all upset and uptight about it and like this, I figured I'd better do something about this. So... After she told me that, I just gave it a concerted effort, mate, that I would would uh, work on my ball handling and my passing day in, day out. Yep. And and I did that. And and when people say to me that um, training and I can't get any better, I know it's an absolute farce because I've done it myself, mate. I have. Mm taught myself how to handle the ball and do that. But I did it through hard work and repetition. Mm. Same thing over and over again, getting it done and getting better at doing the same thing. And that's what it's all about. Yep. You know? So mate, I worked, I, that summer, uh, I flew, I, I decided I'd take a summer job, uh, on Maui. See, uh, cause you know, Hawaii has a lot of different islands and things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I figured I'd go to 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 Maui and um, and uh, just work on my game. So I went to Maui, man, for the summer, and all I did was dribble that ball up and down the court and play against these guys that couldn't play 
but they were playing against me, so of course they were going to be playing hard. Yep. And I was just carving those guys up all summer long. And when I got back to university, I was ready to go, man. I had worked on my handle, which I've been doing for some time anyway. And, uh, yeah, things kind of panned out for me. Nice. And did you, yeah. did you have someone who was um, like a bit of a mentor for you when you were – No, no just get it done yourself? I didn't have it. My father died when I was uh, three years old. All right. And I had a mother – mother and two sisters right uh you know god bless her so to my mother's gone uh one of my sisters gone so it's just me and my older sister we're the only two left yeah and um uh no my mother's a little southern woman little southern black lady you know she ain't doing too much man you know as far as mentoring and and trying to guide me so i kind of fumbled my way through life you know yeah. However, my sisters were were pretty were were pretty good um, uh, mentors because they were like uh, they were really into the academics, right? Yeah. Like my my sister Vanessa, she was the the first um, black woman to to do this uh, magna cum laude at Princeton University, you know, stuff like that. They were getting all these academic things, man. And uh, they used to always say, Ma, tell Clarence Jr. to do do his homework. (laughs) My mother said, leave that boy alone. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) So, you know, there you go. They become the academics and I become the athlete. (laughs) So, Uh, after college, and um, what, what happened? Uh, what brought you out to Australia? Uh, okay. So, uh, Bullets picked me up, right? Yeah. So, I went to the Bullets camp. I was killing them fools, man. I was when was killing that? them, I tell you. So, we're talking uh, like 88 or something? Or? That was, no. Nah. A bit so earlier I than that? To, I went to the Bullets camp. Oh, the Washington 82. Bullets camp. Yeah, yeah. Washington Bullets camp. Yep, yep. In 82, right? And the coach there was, uh, I think it was Jing Shu. Yep. He was a head coach. So I had to go to, to the Washington Bullets, and and we uh, they put us all in this little house, in this house. He had all the rookies and all the draft picks. We all stayed in the house and and trained there for, with them and played in the in the Washington, in the uh, summer league and, and, and did all that stuff. And made, one thing about living in the house with a bunch of guys that, might get cut. It's a, not a very good experience yeah. because we'd all be, we'd have training from let's say nine, we'd have like two trainings a, set, a, a day. We'd go like nine to 11 and we'd go from like two to four. But in the evenings, the phone used to ring, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody would be sitting there watching TV, just kind of relaxing, you know, about 10 or 12 guys there sitting in this house, you know, and the phone would ring, ring. When that phone rang, man, guys would like jump, right? Because it was the it was the general manager on the phone telling somebody to go home. All right. You know, it, the phone would ring. It's like, oh, you answered. No, you answered. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, it was like somebody had passed away. Oh, really? You know, there'd be one less person there. And then, you know, the next day, phone rang, guys jump up, you know, and Fortunately for me, the phone never rang for me, you know, and uh, they offered me a contract to play uh, Danny uh, 
uh, offered me a contract to play in the main for the main lumberjacks. All right. In the CBA. Yeah. And I had a I had a a um, I had an agent. His name was Fred Slaughter. Yeah, it was a pretty big agent back in them days. And uh, I didn't ring Fred up, you know. I just said to them, Maine. I said, it's pretty cold up there. This is how stupid I was, right? I said, Maine, it's cold, man. <laughs> you know? I said, you know, I've been living in Hawaii. <laughs> gonna, I'm going to go from Hawaii to Maine? I said, I really don't want to do that. Is there anything we can do about this? Now, I didn't. I didn't talk to my agent or anything. My agent probably would have told me to shut the hell up and <laughs> take the money and get, you know. And I said, "Look, I really don't want to go to Maine." I said, "It's too cold. I'm not happy." So they said, "Well, look, what we'll do is we'll trade you to Vegas." I said, "Vegas? You mean Nevada, Las, Las Vegas?" They said, "Yeah." I said, "Oh shoot, I could." You know, play some craps over there. <laughs> just terrible, man. Just terrible. Anyway, so they traded me to Vegas. And uh, I was out there for about a month, and the team folded. All right. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if the guy lost the team at the crap table or what happened. But the team went under. So here I was. I could have been in Maine playing under the Washington Bullets banner. Instead, I'm in Vegas with nowhere to go. Right. I'm in limbo. So I ended up going back to Hawaii. And I started selling cars at Honolulu Ford. Yeah. And back in those days, selling a Ford, man, was a hard thing to do. (laughs) The, the, The Japanese cars were killing them. If you sold a Ford... Uh, you, you've done something well. Anyway, I was working at Honolulu Fort. And um, one day at lunch, I went to lunch. And um, a rival coach, his name's Merv Lopes. He coached at Chaminade University. Remember Chaminade? They beat the University of Virginia, and they were ranked number one. All right. Back in the day. Yep. Well, this coach... Um, uh, at Chaminade, he he uh, he uh, approached me and said, "Hey, what are you doing here?" I said, "Oh, I'm just working at at the Ford dealership across the street." He said, "Mate, that's unbelievable." He said, "There's a there's a guy in Australia that's looking for a player, and um, uh, and and the note is uh, on my door behind my door." in a little whatever he had behind the door. Anyway, he said, it's behind the doors. I said, okay. I said, I'll go to your office and get this number, and I'll ring them in Australia. So I rang, and it was a guy named Tim Sullivan. Do you know Tim Sullivan? No, no. Yeah, well, he was living here in in Toowoomba. All right. And and Tim Sullivan said, oh, mate, he says, "Uh, we've already got, he says, we've already got our import. So we're right. And I was like, oh, really? And remember now, I was selling cars at Honolulu Ford. Yeah. And I had just sold one of those Turagos. All right. Right? I just sold a Turago, and I didn't take any discount off it. Right? I sold it what in, in, the, in, the, in car salesman vernacular, <laughs> I full popped. I full popped the customer. Yeah. Right, that meant I gave him no discount, 
and and uh, I made a pretty good amount of money out of that deal, right? Yeah. And just so happens, United Airlines had just started flying to Australia, oh, and yeah. they were flying to Australia for like five hundred dollars return. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like that, man. So, in other words, everything kind of lined up for me, you know. Yep. And I was looking at TV. I saw that commercial, and I said, "Shit, I'm just going down there." I said, "If they got somebody, you know, I mean, here I was, mate, one of the top fifty players, supposedly, well, maybe not, but seniors anyway, seniors in the country, you know, not including juniors and all of that. But yep. I was one of the top fifty seniors in America." you know, making first team all Western athletic conference and all that stuff. So I said to my, I said to, uh, I rang up Tim Sullivan. I said, you look, man, I said, I'm coming down anyway. I said, if, if that guy is that good, you guys keep him, you know, if he's that, if, if he can keep me from moving him out, just keep him. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I then get a ticket and, um, <clears throat> I went and I bought the ticket. But I had to get a visa and all that kind of stuff. I knew nothing about that, you know? Mm. Uh, so I thought I was just going to get the ticket and go and jump on the plane and be gone. They said, wait a minute, mate. It's not that easy. You got to get a visa. You got to get all this stuff. So I ended up getting a visa. I came down here and ended up going to Pittsworth, which is a little town outside of Toowoomba. <laughs> yep. And I met, I met uh, a few of the guys. I met the guy, Chris Curry. They call yep. him Whopper. I yep. met Charlie Ubergang, Ricky Brunner, and Bradley Dickfoss. You probably don't know yeah, all those yeah. guys. Yeah, you know all those guys. You yeah. know all those guys. Well, I met them first. And I also met Mr. 4X Beer that same day. Right? So they put that 4X. I said, what the hell is this? 4Xs? You guys trying to poison me? No, this is beer. I said, okay. <laughs> Let me have a drink. <laughs> so I fell in love with 4X. You know? But the, but the following morning, mate, we had a training session, and I was really fast back in those days. And the only thing they saw was the back of my heels, man, because I was running and running and running. So eventually, they sent the other guy home, and they kept me. Right. And that's pretty much the story, how I ended up in Toowoomba. I had to move a guy out. <laughs> I moved them out, man. You know, I was fast, man. You know that, Anthony. Yeah, I do. I remember playing against shit. <laughs> so that yeah, would have been. So, so, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up getting to uh, to Toowoomba. And that would have been around about, what, 88? That was 80, 87. 87. 87. Yeah, I, 86. 86, 87. Right. I got here in 86 and I had to go home to get my visa and all that stuff together. You know how you have to leave the country yeah, and then yeah. come back in, come back you in. know, all that immigration stuff. Yeah. So I had to do that. That was back in 86, mate. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I started up in Tuma. yeah, there you go. So I, I guess, um, around about that time too would have been, I know certainly in, in Townsville, like the triple uh, ABL was, was huge, um, you know, early 80s into the late 80s. Um, that was yeah. Australian-American amateur basketball league. And, and yeah. what it was, I think, was a lot of those small towns just brought out two, two kids straight out of college um, to each sort of centre and just boosted, you know, the, the players that were in, in those teams. And, and it just took the, the, the standard of the league from, you know, just uh, fairly ordinary to, to something pretty special and actually 
you know, for a long right. period of time had, had good crowds and everything. And, yeah. and, and so you must have been around, you know, coming in around about the back end of that. Back after it. I never played in it. Yeah. yeah. I played the first year of the, um, of the state basketball league. Uh, okay. So that yeah. would have been 80, 86, 88, 87, 87. Right. Nice. And then um, obviously a couple of years later, like you guys are in the finals, 89. Not the first year. Oh, really? The first year, yeah. We lost to Mark Bragg. We lost to Mark Bragg up there in Townsville. You. We lost to you guys up there. Oh, I was playing for Burdekin that year, so. Uh, well, were you? well could, you, weren't, you weren't there. You couldn't get a run with Braggy that year. No. <laughs> yeah. No, man. The first year, we made the finals, and we lost to uh, Mark Bragg. Nice. Well, that was 89. So that was 89. Uh, yeah. Oh, I could be getting my. That was a long time ago, man. You, you've done your homework. Now you're yeah, trying yeah. to make you look stupid. No, no, no. Just, uh, I, yeah. like, oh, I couldn't quite remember the years either. So I'm like, what year did this happen? So, yeah, 89, uh, Townsville beat Toowoomba. And then 90 and 91 was uh, a two-year back-to-back for, for uh, No, no. What happened in 86? Oh, right. What happened in 86, man? I don't know. You tell me. No, see, you, you got to get you do your homework. You got to do your homework <laughs> well. <laughs> See? Tell we me what happened. The finals in '86. Okay. I'm Who'd you play? Sure. And then, and we got back to the finals in '87. Yeah. Then we lost to Townsville in '88, uh, or something like that. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Well, '88, '89, maybe it was like a, you know, did it did yeah, it run over over Christmas back then, or was it just during the year? It was during the year. Okay. We, yep. we started. We started in April. We started around April, May, yep. same as normal. And we went, you know, when everybody played everybody back in those days. But it yep. was it was 1986 was the first year because I remember um, the finals because and I'm blowing my trumpet again. I got the MVP of the of the final. Mark gave it to me, although my team lost the game. No, oh, nice. Yeah, I must have played okay. <laughs> For him to do that. I wish he had gave me a shot, though, when he made the NBL. He didn't call me up to play for Townsville. He took David Blaze, but he didn't take me. Yeah. He'd probably still be coaching had he taken me. <laughs> Did, uh, so, 1991, like, uh, what was going on then with those Toowoomba teams that you had? Well, 1991, 90, we won the championship, and then 91, we went, we won it again. Yeah. Uh, we just had a good team. We One thing we had was a good owner. I met this dude named Tony Van Zeelen. Now, Tony Van Zeelen owned a race car called the L.A. Hooker. Yeah. And I was, uh, I, how did I meet Tony? I was at, I went to this, um, I went to this, uh, this party. And Tony Van Zillen was at the party, and he was extremely impressed that I knew about the L.A. Hooker car, right? right? Because I used to read all the all the racing magazines, right? All yep. the drag racing and all that. Cause I was a bit into that stuff, you know. And he couldn't believe that I that I was up on the L.A. Hooker, but I remember that dragster. That was a good dragster he had, right? And so he and I we formed a bit of a friendship there, and he decided he would. Would um, would um, I said, look, why don't you take over the team and and help us out, put a little bit of money into the team, and we could yeah, we could 
we can win the championship. So Tony proceeded to do that, and and with his with his money, uh, or his investment, I should say, uh, I I went and I I I got a meeting uh, with uh, Danny Morsu. Oh yeah, you know Danny. I yep. called up Danny because I knew all these guys. I called up Danny. I called up Tom Gerhardt. He's yep. another ex-bullet player, and Danny Morsu played with the Bullets, and he's a ex-Olympian. And we already had Dave Nelson who played with the Bullets. Yeah. So I rang those two guys up, and we had a bunch of good local players anyway, like David Blaze and Mike Nilsson and these guys. We had a good little nucleus. We just needed some additional players, yeah. like we do in Toowoomba today. Yeah. You know? So uh rang those guys up, mate, and uh, and we just jailed as a team. We had Harry as our coach. Yep. And we kind of jailed and um, just won those championships, mate. We had a very good team. And Judd really was on that team, too, but he was a young boy. Yeah. But he was learning. And, you know, and, uh, and he developed into a great player, too, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's how – and Tony Van Zillen, man, he put a bunch of money into the teams, and we ended up uh, – at the basketball stadium, it didn't have a heating system. Yeah. He ended up putting a, a big – remember that furnace that was in the water yeah, yeah. stadium? Yeah. We put the furnace in there. We nice. put the seating in there. We put the the, the the beret in the canteen, the food beret. Yep. Well, he bought that for us. He, he, was, a, he was a great owner. Yeah. And he led us to those championships with his commitment to the team. He was a great guy, man. I, I got to get in touch with this dude. I've been trying to track him down. I have no idea where he is now. Well, well once this podcast goes viral, like you might listen to it. You never know. Hey, uh, Tony Van Zillen, if you're out there, <laughs> I know you're listening to this. Uh, give me a call, man. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, back, in the, back in those days, um, I guess one of the things that you were uh, known for, certainly other teams that were playing, you had the scout like you were – averaging 30 plus points a game like how uh you know like you said obviously pretty good outside shooter how did you manage to sort of get that sort of those sort of numbers like consistently year after year well here it is uh when you when you go to recruit a player this is what i believe uh if i'm trying to find a player for my let's say i'm coaching the mountaineers uh state basketball let's say i'm coaching the nbl brisbane bullets yep if i go to look at a player i want to see what he did and how, how many points he scored in high school yeah how many points he scored in college and so forth now in high school mate i'm i would have averaged probably 25 to 20 between 25 and 30 points in high school mm. right you go to college and you average around 20 points in college which is hard to score in college back in those days for sure no three-point line right yeah. So that when you look at if you go to high school and go to college and and those numbers and that player consistently scores, you know, all through his life, then that's what that guy does. He's mm -hmm. a, he's a natural born scorer, shooter yeah. type thing. So the point I'm trying to make is that I was a good shooter from day dot. Yeah. I could shoot the ball. And I could get open to shoot the ball. There's one thing to be able to shoot, but you got to have the 
athleticism, the quickness to actually get open for the shot, you know, to elude yeah. people. So, mate, that was something I was doing all my life. And because I played forward in high school and in, in grades eight and nine, I was always going up against tall guys, taller guys than me. So I learned how to play on the inside, yep. but I also learned how to shoot on the outside. Mm. And it carried me all the way through. And plus, we played a lot of pickup basketball, a lot of sandlot basketball. Now, I'm going to give you another story about my shooting. Yeah. Now, back in 19, okay, I was born in 59. So I probably started playing basketball probably around 65, 66, around that time. Now, in Virginia, we didn't have asphalt on our basketball courts. We had dirt courts. Right. Did you guys play in dirt courts up in Townsville? No, we had bitumen. Always, always bitumen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, Ozzy's yep. are lucky, man. <laughs> See? But, um, well, back in Virginia, where I was from, where I'm from, we used to have to play. We put the hoop up and just on, on a, we, you know, we mark the court off and we play in like what we call sandlot. So it was on dirt, right? Yeah. So if you're playing on dirt, and let's say let's say you had a big rain, and it would <laughs> grooves and things would would go through the court, yeah, yeah. where the water would wash off and create all sorts of grooves and things. So you couldn't really dribble the ball that well, right? So I think my shooting came from the fact that I played on a surface that didn't allow me to dribble that much. Right. It allowed us to shoot. Yeah. Right. So that's where my shooting came from because I couldn't really, you couldn't really dribble that much because the court was so uneven. You yeah. had to shoot. So I ended up doing that. I know we used to, guys from New York used to come down, you know, New York, they got all the nice courts and all that. They were good. They were good at handling the basketball and dribbling and doing all that fancy stuff, but they couldn't shoot. Uh, okay. Because they were used to dribbling. And that's still, and that's probably, probably still the go on those on New York players and players from up north. It's probably the go with them even today that they're better handlers than they are shooters. Yeah, because yeah. down south we didn't have all the all the all the amenities that they had. And uh so we ended up, you know, working on our shots and they were working on their handles. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> prefer the shooter. Yeah. So on my podcast, I talk with a lot of coaches about style of play and, you know, you, you watch a lot of basketball still. Do you, uh, yeah. do you think like the today's NBL, QBL is, is radically different to the league like you played in, in the, in the eighties oh. and nineties or much the same? Hell yeah. I think they're better today than they were when I was playing. <laughs> I can tell you that there's no doubt that they have, uh, that these kids can play today. Yeah. Um, I mean, heads off to to us, mate, to people like you and myself and all the other uh, basketball coaches that are put in and help develop these kids today because we've done a good job. And it shows from the fact that we have so many kids playing basketball in America so many kids going to college over there. Uh, so many guys in the NBA, you know, and and the brand of basketball here is respected worldwide. 
and especially in America, mm. which is a Mecca. So we've done a, done a great job here. And from the beginning, back in 1986, when they started that Queensland Basketball League, uh, to now, uh, I think it's all been just an upward uh, trajectory all the way, straight up. Mm. That's what I reckon. I mean, you, I, I found people that disagree. You know, some guys, they'd be like, oh, these kids can't play, yada, 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 and all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, I disagree. And I disagree with them when they say that. Yeah. Because I think that the players today are better. Of course they're going to be better. I mean, that's just that's natural uh, revolution of things, evolution. You know, you should you should get better. You got to get better with each generation. Yeah, and and I guess uh, you know one of the the biggest things is um, people talk about positionless basketball these days. Whereas I guess back in the day, you know, yeah. your four man was your four man, your five man was your five man, and yeah, you wouldn't see those guys popping out for a, for a three point shot all that often, uh, or even necessarily setting a lot of you know pick and roll type stuff outside yeah, the Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, um, I, 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 had, I had a thought there for a second, mate, and then the thought kind of left my head. Um, <laughs> wait a minute, man. It was a good one, too. Was it? Oh, well, it's gone. It's gone? In and out? It'll come back later. <laughs> nice. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be, man. Comes and goes. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Comes and goes, bro. Yeah. So, so let's talk about Super Camp. When did that start up, and uh, and uh, how, and how did it come about? Like, uh, what did you see in terms of uh, what was on offer that that made you think, yeah, I should just get in and, and start this and see how it goes? Yeah. Well, remember, I got here in 1986. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I came to Australia because I could have gone elsewhere, you know, to some to Europe. But I didn't want to deal with having to speak uh, Spanish. Yeah. I didn't want to deal with speaking Italian or Russian or wherever I was going. Because I was in Hawaii, I met a lot of Australians. Yeah. See, because they stopped on Hawaii on their way. And every Australian I spoke to, they knew all about basketball. Mm. So it was like, shit, I ought to just go there. It could be an easy transition if I, if I just go uh, uh, down to uh, Australia to play. So, uh, so that's what I did. Now, what was that question you asked me? So, yeah, like, when did you start up Supercamp? Yeah, um... okay. Now, okay. So when I got down here, you know, the game was relatively new. So, um, and I wasn't being paid a lot of money. And uh, as you know, the Queensland Basketball League still doesn't pay a lot of money. After all these years, seems like things could be further along than what it is. But I had to make a living, right? So I went to, when I was at Elon College, I attended, or I was one of the coaches at uh, the Campbell College basketball camp. Oh, yeah. It was the largest camp in the country. Right. And I was one of the coaches there. They had a lot of kids, man. And and then I went to a couple of other camps, right? Yep. And but when I got here, I noticed that there were no camps. There were no camps at all. I don't know, I don't rugby league, AFL. There were nobody running live in basketball camps where a kid could go and live in for, you know, for five days. And really learn the fundamentals, right? 
Well, that wasn't in existence. So I saw a little opening in the market for me. So I rang up these NBL cats like Ronnie the Rat, Leroy Loggins, and all that. I said, guys, I'll give you X amount of dollars if you come up here and help me out for the for for the week. Yeah. Which they did. I promoted it and I was the only cab on the rank doing it. And I used to get four hundred kids a camp. Wow. It was huge, man. Huge. Because I was the only guy doing it. Yeah. And now and what I did I actually, that's how I became an Australian citizen All because right. I, I applied for my permanent residency on the basis that I was running a business that nobody else in the country was running. Yeah. And which was true. I was running yeah, super camps. That's right. Nobody else was doing it, man. And, um, and they granted me my permanent residency. Uh, nice. Right? Yep. See? I'm a damn good immigrant. Huh? <laughs> that's the kind of immigrant you want, man. Yeah, that's it. You and, see? A productive one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what you do know? you think? What do you think it made Supercamp successful over? And it's like 30, 33 years this year? Uh, 32. 32. 30, 32 years. I think what, what, what does, I, you know, I have good coaches. Uh, I think I'm not, I'm not a bad bloke either. You know, kids kind of <laughs> like me. And uh, the coaches like me. I just try to do the right thing by everybody. Yeah. You know, like if a guy if a guy says, "Hey, I want a thousand bucks," I don't pay him seven hundred and fifty. You know, I pay the guy a thousand bucks. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a man of my word. I don't shaft anybody. So nobody can go around and say, hey, "Don't go up there and work for pop make and he'll rip you off." <laughs> Nobody's got to say that because I pay everybody like they, you know, I pay everybody. I pay what I say I'm gonna pay. Yeah. And, um, and, and the coaches are enthusiastic and, and I think the camp, the camp works. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the whole thing, man. It works because kids come to the camp and then they go home and they're better than the other kids. And, and they say, hey, what did you do? And, and, and then the kids say, oh, I went to super camp. Oh, so the next, next year, that kid that saw the improvement in, in his mate ends up coming. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know these camps work, and I'll give you a story why. Yeah. When I was in high school, there was a guy named Mike Helms. He was a junior, and I I was one year older than him. And he played varsity when he was in grade 10, and I was in grade 11. Now, I played varsity, too, when I was in grade 10. That Now, you know, you have junior varsity, and then you have varsity. Well, if you're good enough, when you're young, you can skip the junior varsity and just play with the seniors. Yeah. And that's what I did. And that's what Mike Helms did. But anyway, Mike Helms and I, because we were pretty much the same age, one, one year, Mike Helms, he was an okay player. He was all right, you know, when he was in grade nine, because I played against him in grade nine because we played junior high ball together. Yeah. But anyway, Mike Helms went to a basketball camp from grade between grade nine and grade ten, something like that. Yeah, and man, he came back really, really good. I couldn't believe that guy had improved that much. Yeah, you know, I didn't go to the camp myself, but he went to the and I, and and I and and I said to the guys, "How did he become so good?" They said, "Oh, he went to that basketball camp." So basketball camps from that uh, position 
Yeah. From that place, from seeing that guy improve that much, I knew then that basketball camps do work. Mm. That that uh, solid uh, training for that many hours, that many days, that many sessions, and have some. Make sure you got some good coaches. It does improve a kid's game. Yeah. And I think the reason why Supercamp has gone on for the years is because kids get better. If kids left the camp and didn't get better, they wouldn't come back. Yeah. Because I'd probably get, uh, you know, I would get half the kids would come back. And, they, you know, you get the ones that just drop out because it's not really cheap. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not over-the-top expensive either. No, no. Yeah, but I think it's because it works. That's yeah. why it's gone on for so long. And like I guess one of the other um, messages that's coming out, out for me when I talk to other coaches on the podcast is there's a lot of I think people generally think you know we just got to keep pushing and keep uh, teaching kids in terms of um, skill development. You know, like especially for young kids, but all, all yeah. kids really. Like, what do you think in terms of that? And what sort of things do you emphasize, you know, with your kids when you're coaching them about skill well, development? <laughs> the more basketball you play, the better. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's just good to go and find somebody to play against. It doesn't matter who. Just play. Yeah. And But today, unlike back in the day, probably when you and I were coming up, you play anywhere, any anywhere, any place, any time, yeah. any court. Let's just go and play. But today, if, if it's not a, a, wood, a wood court and if everything isn't like, Peachy King and, and spot on, kids don't want to play. Yeah. I'd say play anytime you can. Play against whomever. Play a, a, a good amount of one-on-one. It's good to play one-on-one. And, you know, and then have a look at, watch the, the good guys play and just mimic them. Yeah. It's, it's really simple. Watch a good dude play and play like him. Try to do the things that he play that he does. Work on those. Work on those. If he's got a particular little dribble that he does, then you do it. It's all about just just copying people. That's mm. what I think. But you still have to play a lot to be able to do it under pressure. And do you, know? do you talk to kids about uh, attitude as well, and you know, just having that sort of work ethic uh, that's going to take them somewhere? Some people got it. Some people don't. Yeah. Some people have it and some people don't. I look at my own two boys, right? Now, my boys, you know, they've been to super camp an awful lot. <laughs> but if you thought, if you think I could have gotten them uh, off that Nintendo, <laughs> I think not. <laughs> them boys, I used to say, boys, you know, instead of playing this Nintendo, get down there and take some shots. No, mate, they'd be playing that Mario. <laughs> and, and this kind of thing. That's what they were doing the whole time, man. Can you get them away? But you know, but you get some kids, mate. They put the Mario down. They put the Nintendo down. They're out there shooting. Yeah. Those are the ones that make the NBL. Yeah, they're the ones that want to make that want to be good. You know, and yep. and and they know what it takes to be good. You know, mm-hmm. and and you don't have to tell them what to do because they 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 recognize what their deficiencies are and then they go and they try to sort the deficiencies out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the individual, you know, you do have, I mean, there are cases where you got a dad that's all hovering over the kid and 
take get the kid up at four o'clock in the morning, takes him down and to the court and shoots up a million shots. Yeah, that's cool. But it wasn't me as a parent. Yeah. You know, I wasn't gonna do it. <laughs> and if you if you want it, you do what I did. Just yeah. go and do what you gotta do. Yeah. You yeah. know? And and then it was a, a thing of um well I because I chased the basketball around. I didn't really chase it like a lot of guys did. And I didn't want to chase it, you know, because I always felt like I could do something else. Yep. And I've always liked business. So I've always like I always wanted to, to have my own business and do my own thing. You know, I never wanted I've always been a bit of a loose cannon that way. <laughs> in that I always wanted to be my own boss. Yeah. Yep. And so as far as me um just uh chasing, chasing, chasing that wasn't me. And if my sons and my daughter, if they weren't interested in chasing, 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 that's fine with me. Yeah. Because now you can just get into those books and you can become an educated person and get yourself uh, a career job that's going to last longer than your basketball career. Yeah. And so although they were playing their Nintendo, it wasn't like, I had them up all the time. I was like pushing for them to get into the basketball thing. I mean, I'm not knocking parents that push their kids that way, but through my experience, I felt that, you know, I wish I had been a better student at school and I wish I had, you know, gotten a degree because I went to university and didn't finish my degree. Yeah. You know, and I didn't wish this. And therefore, when I got to a certain age, my life was a bit uh, up in the air, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I made sure these boys uh, uh, got their education, got their degree. And now they're both engineers. And when I need a dollar, I ask them, <laughs> give me 50 bucks. They'll slip me 50, <laughs> you know. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool. But nice. at least they're set for life, aren't they? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And they could have been. They've got friends that have will really chased the ball, been all over the world, and and all of that. But you know, hey, you got a, probably a ten-year window. Yeah. And if you ain't making a million bucks, if you're making two hundred fifty dollars a game over ten years, when those ten years are up. You're up for a hard next 10 years, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, uh, so my thing was to, if, if, a, if a kid has the desire, the kid doesn't need to be motivated. That yeah. kid will get out there and get it done. And mm. that kid is smart enough to know what he or she needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's good advice. So, mm. What's a, what's a typical day at super camp? Uh, like you said, it's a four-day live-in camp? Five days. Five, five days. days. Yeah. Uh, uh, nine, 9 to 11.30 uh, skills. We do passing, dribbling, defense. You know, we do all the skill stuff. They go to the different stations. Then we break for lunch. We About an hour and a half, two yeah. hours for lunch. Then we start back up. 
uh, at one o'clock. We go from one till four. And in the one till four, we might have a one-on-one competition. We have a two-on-two competition. We have five-on-five competition. So during the whole course of the week, uh, with the one-on-one, kids are knocking each other out. It's like a one-on-one tournament. And nice. then we pick, then they pick two-on-two teams, randomly pick. The two-on-two teams are randomly picked. Yep. You put the names in a hat, and let's say if you're, let's say you picked out your, you picked out the number one. Then another kid, if another kid picks out, we put two ones in there. You yep. get two ones, you two on the same team. You right. get two twos, you two twos on the same team. So we do that on the first day. So they actually start their one-on-one, their two-on-two, and then the five-on-five is the same way. We just pick up – we pick these teams, and then we have a competition for the week of the camp. Right. And at the end, at the last, on the last day of the camp, then we have our championship games and stuff like that. But so we go from one to four doing the one-on-one, the two-on-twos, and the five-on-fives. And then we have a break for dinner. And then we come back for dinner, and we might play five-on-five, or we might do shooting and things like that. So there's three sessions. Yeah. So it really, you know, that's why kids learn so well, because um, you have to concentrate. And when you are tired and you have to push through, a lot of times that's when the good stuff sinks in. Yeah, yeah. When you're pushing through and you're tired, but there's somebody telling you you got to do it right. Mm. And so you do that for five days, then you should get better. Especially if you, you know, with these little dudes, you know, these six, seven, eight-year-olds, you know, they're really learning those fundamentals, how to dribble and things like that. I mean, they don't, a lot of times the little ones don't do the evening session. Yeah. But with the older kids, you know, you're 18, 17, 16, they love it, mate. I've been, kids have come up to me so many times and said, oh, can you make it longer? I said, no, mate, five days is enough for me. You got to go. Oh, now, see you. My move. <laughs> go away. <laughs> so details for the January camp, you got uh, that coming up shortly? Uh, yeah, uh, 12th to the 16th. Uh, at St. Ursula's College. Yeah. Just go to supercamp.com.au. All right. I'll put that uh, in the in the show notes. So all your millions, millions and millions of listeners out there. I tell you, it'll go viral. Huh? <laughs> it'll go viral. I'm sure it will. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear back from Shaquille O'Neal. I'm sure he's going <laughs> to see this. Maybe Michael Jordan will pick it yeah, up. You never know. Huh? <laughs> well, mate, right. it's been a uh, pleasure talking to you this morning. Yeah. Um, good to catch up, and uh, like I said, uh, get a really fascinating journey in terms of you know your playing career, but also the stuff you're doing with Super Camp and what you do for basketball in Southern Queensland too. It's not just Toowoomba; it's it's right out. You've got a fairly big reach with the stuff that yeah. you do. Yeah, and, I'm getting uh, out there, <laughs> and uh, you know. Um, I think you're making making the difference, you know, like in terms of what goes on in basketball. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot for uh, thinking about me. You know, I'm the forgotten man around here, you know, and it's a good thing, man, that you thought about me. I'm happy to have a chat to you. Nice, big fella. Well, uh, take care and all, right, uh, all, all the best Super Camp in January. Look after yourself, bro. Thanks, mate. See you, man. See ya. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Coach, and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening.